Back in the day, I would be sitting on the couch and I would hear this man argue sports with people and I go, holy crap, he is going to be really good at this shit. From Syracuse to, I believe, Kansas City, Houston, and then your national television sets. He is the face right now of First Things First, which is pretty fucking unbelievable. I've seen the growth. He is a legend among men, and we've talked about it before. He is somehow the number one champion of LeBron James, Nick Wright. Well, first of all, Lefko, your your profanity efficiency rating is starting off way off the charts. I don't think I'm going to be able to match it over the course of this podcast. Second of all, I still believe maybe in my entire career of takes, the single best take I've ever given was with you sitting three feet from me, which during when we did an eight-hour NFL draft show from the Z89 Studios at Syracuse, New York, I said Adrian Peterson should have gone number one overall and will end up being one of the five best running backs ever. I said that. I still think it's my well, it's my second best take. My best take is that LeBron's the greatest ever, and I was way ahead of everyone on that. But my second best take happened with inspiration from you, Adam Lefko. It was. There was. I think that may have been a DeBrickashaw Ferguson draft, uh, two thousand seven. Six. Oh seven. Yeah, that's. Well, yeah, that's right. You're right. What, it, it, whatever it was, I was right about Adrian Peterson. Let's just set the record. Let's straight. start now. I think we all. I'm sure you get messages from people that go. Man, I saw you back, let's say, 2007. I knew you could do it then. When you look at 2007, Nick Wright, what were you not great at? Oh, a lot of the things I'd say I'm still not great at. 2007, Nick Wright was not great at television. I would say 2020, Nick Wright's not great at television. These takes, though, they're just so great that they they, they they get over the fact that I don't know what camera to look at. I talk with my hands. I'm kind of funny looking. They're like, we got to find a way to get these takes the widest audience possible. Um, I would also say there is it, it, possibly on a more serious note, I am one thing I envy in you, and this is going to be the last nice thing I say Please. about you, is you, you have a, an amazing ability to have fun on television, to make people feel comfortable. You're like, you're naturally funny, which I'm, I don't have that gear, but even if you're not naturally funny, people who don't have that can, the, the way to just kind of not take themselves so seriously. I think because I'm just always aware of how strong my takes are, yeah. that at times is, uh, I, for a morning show, I'm a little too intense. Like my face is already cutting because of the nose. And so like, the, those are the types of things, you know, one would like to work on. But I just kind of am me, just out here, just giving these takes. My secret is something that my mom got upset at me for a few years ago, where she goes, Adam, I have to ask you, I just noticed in all of your interviews or when you interact with people, you're always making fun of yourself and, and you're always putting yourself down. She goes, but like by the end of the interview, I always think that you came off better than the other person. I go, you figured it out. You figured out the secret. Like, and with you, I feel like, you have been put because you're so well thought out and because your takes are legitimately good and not there just for reactions. I feel like people are always coming at you. And so for you to ever let it go, it would completely ruin. It would go completely kayfabe. It would ruin. Well, that, that's the right. That's the thing is, and I do take these things very seriously, more seriously than I should. I mean, just in the last 12 hours, I've had Ennis Canner come at me. We kind of squashed it on the television show this morning. I like Ennis a lot. 
Uh, and Marcus Morris came straight for my throat overnight. I mean, it was. What'd you so say? So he's gone after someone's ankle and someone's throat in the last in the last. He's been a busy man. Man. Busy man, Marcus Morris. What did I say? What I said was he obviously tried to do that on purpose. Mm. And anyone that says differently, I desperately hope ends up on a jury if I'm ever accused of a crime. Because he's on video with a terrible track record. And, and people are like, oh, I don't know. There's 5,000 square feet on a basketball court. Maybe he just am accidentally ambled over I'm, to where Luke I'm has down left to support was. that as long as you don't drop the plus he's from Philadelphia, so you know. Because then I'll, you'll lose me for no. But I will drop, I covered him at the University of Kansas, and, and go go Google Bill Self, Marcus Morris, uh, uh, flagrant fouls. It is a problem for him a decade ago. It was a problem for him a year ago when he was kneeing Ben Simmons, Philly guy, in the head. Ugh. It was a problem for him, for him when he, I forget which player it was, but in the preseason this year when he played for the Knicks, when he boinked that dude on the head with the basketball in the preseason game. Like, he is who he is. Leave my mentions alone, Marcus Morris. You're trying to injure the, the, the next face of the league. My large adult Slovenian son, Luca. When did it go from I have fire takes to holy crap, the people who my takes are about are hearing my takes and reacting? Oh, well, that was, oh, that's a great one. Uh, so like on the local level, that happens, right? Totally. Like when I'm doing local, when I'm doing local radio in Kansas City, uh, I'm in a charity, uh, like with a softball game with all those Kansas city famous comedians. Kansas city's got like the Paul Rudd, Rob Riggle, that whole crew. Yeah, the dude from modern they, they, family, they, Eric Stone it, street. Exactly right. Um, and well, to be honest, I think this, this game predated modern family being on the air. Uh, so I don't even think stone street was like there wasn't yet, even but it re wasn't even a thing yet, but regardless, so they're like doing, you know, the kind of pre-game mingle and Matt Castle's there and it's me and one of my coworkers and Matt Castle, I go over and I shake his hand, I say hi. And he immediately turns right to one of my coworkers. It's like, oh, so your guy Nick here just talks a lot of shit, huh? That's his thing. Just a shit talker. I'm like, oh boy, Matt Castle's mad. He's big mad. Now, was he mad at me or was he mad at himself? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you can't blame Matt Castle being Matt Castle, but it was frustrating for me because we had Jamal Charles mm. who averaged 6.3 yards oh. per carry and they wouldn't give him the damn ball. Um, so that's at that point, you kind of know, all right, you're not just talking into the ether. When I Then when I went to Houston, I was supposed to – like our station was the flagship for the Texans. And at one point I was supposed to go with the Texans to a road game to do something. And they had a kicker at the time named Randy Bullock, who was bad. Bat Randy. And I just would bat Randy. So that's, I got, I got disinvited from the plane because I would just call him fat Randy. And evidently they, they were like, you can't be on the plane with fat Randy. And I'm like, cause he needs the extra seat. And they're like, no, because he's mad. And I'm like, oh, okay, Fat Randy. And by the way, America, listen, I am uh, the – it is the only – how do I put this? It's not body shaming if they're pro athletes. That's that's one of my one of my most polarizing takes. Mm. It is uh, – no one should be mocked for their image, for how they look, for their weight, anything like that, unless it is literally your job to be in shape, in which case I can call you Fat Randy. Man, see so what – I, I have a tangent brain, and there was like four different roads that I wanted to go down. Yeah. I'm just going to add a go personal touch that I, I yeah. held back from. I remember in Louisville, they were Charlie Strong not having a good first year. They had to go to West Virginia, 
And I guess on TV, like the night before the game, I was like, and they're a double digit like underdog and they'll probably lose by three. They upset West Virginia. There's a Louisville basketball game on that night and they're coming back and they're going to go right to the middle of the court to get showered in the middle of new yum arena by all, by 20,000 fans. And so as a local media guy who shot his own stuff, I take my camera with the other guys. We go into the tunnel to get them coming in. And I, as I'm going to get my first shot, the first five football players walk in and they all look at me and go, we know you, we know you. And then it was 120 of them walking by and all pointing at me. And I found out later that my guy, Charlie Strong, took my clip and was playing Played on the clip. repeat to the team. Yeah. And so for like Teddy Bridgewater was looking at me being like, well, how much are we going to lose by? And it's, it's that feeling where you're like, you know what? That it was cool that y'all watched. I'm glad that I have viewers. Well, so, so I, I've got a book into that on the, on the more contemporary end. There is your beloved Philadelphia Eagles, the day of their championship parade tweeting that they sent one non parade tweet. And it was a clip of me after Wentz goes down saying, here's the list of teams that could win the Super Bowl. I think I named like 11, not on the list. Philadelphia was like 12 and three at the time. And honestly, but it was understandable. It was a, it was a compliment to Wentz. He was an MVP, was like, you got the candidate. MVP and he's gone. But to, to go to the very beginning, I guess really the first person who I knew listened was Beheim because my senior he was so year scary I, as a college kid dude dude my senior year i'm at so andy routens our senior are you you and i the same year right no 07? i mean i was 08 08 you're you're younger than me makes me even angrier at your success um and so the so oh so oh seven syracuse people are the there. fucking worst like syracuse people are always like what year okay who was your teacher oh go fuck yourself it's it's right, all exactly, in us a right. little bit no, um, of course. I'm happy for every Syracuse grad up until all the ones who have surpassed me, in which case for them I'm kind of rooting for many, a terrible man. headline. So right, but but I'm fucking talking to one of them. Uh so as I was saying, so uh as I was saying, so 07, Andy Routens is, you know, he's a legacy there. He's supposed to be a great shooter because he doesn't do anything else as a freshman, and he's just bricking threes. And I, to this day, contend I didn't say this. A caller did. But at one point during one of the postgame shows that I was hosting, someone said they should pull a scholarship. Smash cut. Three weeks later, he has a great game at South Florida. I'm at the game getting ready to call in to the double overtime to do, like, the postgame report. And down the tunnel comes Beheim. And I have no reason to, you know, I, like, step at the side so I can go, he walks over, sticks his long finger right in my chest. Doesn't touch me, but so you still think we should take his scholarship away? And I'm like, oh, my God. Jim Bayon, long-time listener, zero-time caller, Jim Bayon. The fact that, that he, he would that was That one was scary. The game. That one was scary. I'll be honest. All these other ones have been cool. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, oh, my God. Jim Bayham, I even think I, in fact, not I think I know. I was like, hold on, do you have a minute? He's like, yeah. And I tried to state my case. Like, give me a second. When did you, when did you not give a shit what people think? When did that start? Oh, I'll tell you when. 
I, you know, I, I the, Cause you've been like this for a long time. Yeah. I, you know, it's weird that I'm good at understanding I'm in the opinion space. So people are going to get very passionate. Right. And I think the, for what I do, I think Christopher Russo 25 years ago mm. had one of the best lines on this, which is somebody called Mike and the mad dog and was trying to roast him and was like, what does it mean? How does it make you feel that when they show you guys on the jumbotron at a Yankee game or a giant game, people boo. Hmm. And Russo said, it makes me feel great. He's like, listen, this whole job is to make people emote. Mm. It's exactly what he says. Make people feel. He's like, of course we would prefer they feel good, but better than feeling nothing is to feel is to be angry. And so like, I, I always say knew that, that that cowherd said something similar. Yeah, like we're in the interesting business. Is Cowherd's line? Is we're in the in, I'm, Cowherd always says, "I'm not in the being right business. I'm in the being interesting business." And you'd always rather be right and interesting than wrong and interesting. But there's a whole lot of folks who may who are right a lot, but they're boring, mm. and it's it doesn't. That's just not. That's not what we're. That that's not the medium. So I'd love to say, I that I am. What anyone says about me doesn't matter, but it's not true. I, For the people that I respect, it matters a lot to me that they don't look at me the way they look at some people in my space. I was going to ask which you, is, you yeah. to, for me to go on Instagram the other day and to see you and Colin Cowherd sipping Mai Tais, watching an NBA game, and you're like, don't worry, Colin, I'll set up the IG Live because I'm clearly a younger version of you. That was very <laughs> awe-inspiring for me because there's some seeing some your friend on a platform is one thing. Seeing your friend validated on a platform is another. What has that relationship been like? And and to see kind of where it's grown between you two. Well, listen, I the so Colin is they always say don't meet your idols. Unless, of course. You happen to, and they're the greatest dude in the world. I'll see, I'll so, see your cowherd, and I'll raise you Ernie, because I feel exactly the same. Sure. And Ernie, by the way, has as sparkling of a reputation across the industry as anybody. Like I've, I've never met him except for to say hello, yeah. but he seems like that, like as good of a person as anyone has ever met. Like that's I've never heard anyone be like, you know what? You know who's a jerk? Never. Ernie Johnson. It's never been said. Yeah. Um, and so, but on Colin, listen, Colin didn't know me before I got to FS1. Um, and what Colin initially did for me, which was once I got there, now he did the, the way he tells it, and I believe it, when they were thinking about hiring me, since I was a radio guy, prior to FS1, I had done almost no TV. I was a radio guy. Uh, the old FS1 president, Jamie Horowitz, had Colin listen to some of my stuff and was like, what do you think of the guy? And Colin said, I think he's really good. And Colin will tell you that he listened for three minutes and said hire him. I don't know how much – that's what Colin says. But regardless of that, the very first time I went on The Herd, he, the way he announced me to the audience was like I was one of the biggest deals in the world. And then when I would talk, he would – he would look so intently and so interested. And then he went to the bosses 
And I remember you would end your segments by going at Nick Wright. He's going to be special. Look out. Like he would always yeah. end it with validation at the end too. And then he went to the bosses behind the scenes and said, when I take off, he should fill Damn. in. And without that, I don't have the show because I, this is a little behind the scenes. I was hired at FS1 to do a show that by the time I got there didn't exist. Mm. So I, I, I get there and all of a sudden it's like, okay, the show we were going to do, we're doing a different show. And I feel like I can say this now, the show they ended up doing, it was involving heavily Jason Whitlock. And he and I have a really bad relationship dating back Kansas to Kansas City. City. Yeah. So I was never going to be on that show. And like the, it, it, I wasn't someone that made sense to go on Undisputed because like I could fill in on Undisputed. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I'm doing what they're doing. It's not like I'm a, you know, an insider or an athlete. They don't. And so all I had was Colin. My family was in Houston. I was commuting on the weekends because my oldest son was working on a basketball scholarship. I didn't want to take him out of senior year. And I'm working two 12-minute segments a week is all I have. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then Colin lets me fill in, and I still believe this was one of the biggest moments. I'm filling in on the 4th of July on the Durant Day. Oh shit! And three minutes, and three minutes before we go to the air, he posts that story. And I, you know, well, I did. Do you remember what your all, lead was before that? It was what's he gonna do? Uh, okay. You know what I mean? It was a sale, but but and I'll add to it. ESPN and ESPN two are in Wimbledon. Wow. So Durant, so so Durant makes his decision. They're in tennis. I'm filling in, and I handled it. Mm. And like, and it got. I think you know, probably because we were not so much because of me, but because of we were the only ones talking about it. A good number, and then like, and then Skip and Shannon's show takes off, and they're like, hey, they they're taking off, even though they have their lead in is bull riding. Mm. So like, you know what I mean? We need a show, a morning show. And so without Colin, it doesn't happen. And let me add one other thing, and then I'll stop ranting about how much I love him. Uh, he has called me every single Friday since I moved out here to check in. Damn. I know. I mean, he is the greatest. And so it's just, it is, and I've told him, you know, and he, he basically said that his opinion is that certain folks in the industry get you know they they get very almost territorial about younger generation and you know and things like that and that he never wanted to be that way and so he's been he's been great absolutely great there's two things i would say one to anyone that's afraid of a youth movement all of the best creators and this is in any form art, media, whatever. It's the ones that embrace the younger generations are the ones that have almost two careers because then they become a collaborator. We've seen this from designers to music to art everywhere. The other thing I would say is if you're listening, it's something that I've said a lot and that Nick said right there, which is you don't know when the moment is going to happen. Everyone thinks I'm going to be ready for my moment. But when 
KD gets traded or signs three minutes beforehand, it's how you handle it in that spontaneous moment that really sets the path. And so it's all those years that set you up to do three hours of television for when KD goes uh, to Golden State. And it's... Yep. Well, and for you, like, yeah, you didn't... the When you were doing the the newscasts, the sports, you know, the sportscasts in Louisville, you didn't know the one that dead spin was going to run. Right. And it also is a good reminder that certainly I would argue at any point in your career, but certainly when you're trying to, you know, grind to the next thing that you can never mail a day in like the, you know, I do that, the, the radio show on mad dog and one day randomly Stephen a called into the listener line to argue with me. And so that was a good reminder to me that, you know, it's my, it's my second job. Sometimes I'm doing it when I'm tired. I've already done the, you know, I, it's not a job I have to have doing it because I love radio and I, I like the medium of it, but man, you better not just be like, ah, screw it because you know what I mean? Like the, you don't know who's listening and you don't know how they're going to form that opinion of you in that the, what you were saying, my, my quote on my senior yearbook page is a Thomas Jefferson quote that he said to a painter. I don't have it in front of me. I was going to try to look it up, but it's that this dude had been trying to do his portrait forever. And Jefferson kept blowing him off. And then one day he comes down the stairs, the painters there. He's like, Hey, let's go basically. And the guy's all nervous. And the quote is along the lines of the, you know, your moment is here right now. Seize it. You'll make of it what you will. Someone can look up the actual quote. I'm sure I mangled it. But it speaks to what you're saying, which is you don't know when your moment's going to be. You can just be prepared for it and have that pay dividends. And as a pure example of the difference between you and I, your yearbook quote was Thomas Jefferson and mine was of Van Wilder. So combined, <laughs> mine, I believe, was don't take life so seriously. You'll never get out alive. And that really shows who we are. There you go. Right. Um, that's why you get to. That's why you get to. You know, do practical jokes with Shaq. That's and why I'm I out think here I get giving, along with Shaq. Yeah, because uh, absolutely. He, you've been on TV, I'm sure, or radio, whatever, where the other person is going to test you early because you're young, because you didn't play in the sport, and they're like, I sat on a plane next to Antoine Walker. And listening to him talk for a little bit, I was like, if this guy doesn't like you, I feel like he would come at you. Have you had moments uh, in your media career where someone came right for your neck? Oh, yeah. I'll give you a good example recently that just didn't get picked up by you know the internet, I think, because it was in the middle of the pandemic. There are no sports going on. Like It's not like we have the highest rated show in the world to begin with, but when, you know, this, I... I I'm glad they didn't send me the numbers from June, but I'm sure they were horrified. <laughs> um, but we're interviewing Robert Griffin the third. Might have been May. And we're like going to the end of the interview where it's like, hey, what do you hear? Is this something you want to promote? Whatever it is. And he stops us. He's like, Hold on, before before we do that, hey Nick, three years ago, you said I wouldn't be a good fit as a backup that you thought uh, it would be a mistake for Baltimore to sign me. And I think 
comments like that are one of the reasons I, I had a hard time finding work in this league. Mm. Like, what do you have to say about that? And I was, I'll be honest, I had no recollection I said it. Like, you're like, that wasn't like, me. That was a caller. You need to talk to no, Bayheim. You're having the same problem. Yeah, and so, and so like that was, and you know, and I stood my ground. I was like, listen, you, you've proven me wrong on that. I was like, I do think it's hard for guys who were the level of star you were to then all of a sudden just be like, I'm going to back up Joe Flacco, who stinks. The same thing that was happening like the, with Cam. Well, sure. Or one could argue with Mello. Right. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, and so, and, and so, the, and, and that Mello apology, I didn't say this because I always was pro Mello, just because Syracuse guy and I like him. And I think people underrate how hard being a professional scorer is. But here's something that I wish someone would have said that day when Mello hit the big shot. And it seemed like everyone on every show, poor Max Kellerman, they're like making him do, you know, take his lashes. Yeah, yeah. I wish someone had been like, Hey, and Mark Jackson is, you know, just reminding everyone. Everyone was wrong on Mello. People weren't. They were a little wrong on Mello. And if you said he can't play in the league ever again, you were obviously wrong. But the other thing is people were like, hey, Mello needs to accept a role that up to this point he had been unwilling to accept. Absolutely. And it seems like the change was he became willing to accept it. Not that it's like all of a sudden it's like, man, look at Mello. 26 a night again like and so the I don't think I was wrong about what I said about RG3 maybe a little bit I think that he adjusted and the world kind of adjusted to him and and I think he was humbled a bit um but yeah so I've had guys come at me for sure usually on Twitter occasionally on you know Edelman came right at, Edelman made fun of my beautiful hair on tele or on Twitter how, how but different in has his life been with hair well, in the very is, beginning, for, for everyone, Nick has had the same haircut probably his whole life up until the since last I was year. 14. Yeah, I had a shaved head. I had a skin fade. I got my haircut when we were at Syracuse. There was uh Dude, Nick, Nick's college wardrobe was phenomenal. <laughs> oh, I know I know he was from Kansas City, but it was New York Tims with a solid boot cut jean with a nice yeah. tall tee with that yeah. haircut and the thing is is like yeah. i was wearing a carmelo oak hill jersey to my knees so yeah. i wasn't gonna yeah. say anything and i got and i got i lived essentially at the barber shop on the south side of syracuse and i got my haircut twice a week mm. and i got my haircut twice a week for 15 and years Kung Fu movies yeah it got it edged up the whole thing and then my wife had been begging me to grow my hair out and i just finally said i'll, I'll try it so a couple things happened with hair. First, in the beginning, you asked you know, about people hurting my feelings. The level of people that were convinced I was wearing a wig really bothered me. It really, really, truly bothered me in ways I was surprised. The other thing that happened that I did not know was actually a thing, I thought it was just something some like close friends joked with me about, is the number, number of people who Evidently, my whole career of thought, I'm not just a you know random Italian guy that thought I was some type of mixed race. Wow. And I think part of that is because uh, you know I have a mixed race, race family yeah. and because of how I talk about race and the haircut. And so, I mean, Bomani, I won't say who sent him the text, but Bomani sent me three separate screenshots 
one from his brother, one from a very prominent NBA media member, and one from an ESPN co-worker that were all along the same lines of, wait, so 100% white? <laughs> question mark, something like that. <laughs> and so, like, the if there was any question about whether, you know, my race, I think the hair revealed it. And the other yeah, thing you went the hair from is Tony done, Parker to manage Ginobili real quick. Real quick? Real? I used to get – um he's back in the news this week, but everyone used to say Marshall Henderson. Oh, that's the, rude. It's rude. It, you know what's even ruder? I would get Frank Rebury, and Frank Rebury's only defining trait is a facial scar. It's a nose and a scar. They're like, hey, you look at this guy. You look like this guy who was in a car wreck. I'm like, well, that's not nice. Uh, but the reason the nose stuff doesn't bother me, and sorry, this is a very, no, very quick story that dude, you will I'm appreciate. Enjoying, I'm enjoying on the drive, on the drive to Syracuse. It's my mom and I. All I ever think I'm going to do is radio. It's all I want to do is radio. I knew it since I was 12 years mm. old. My mom says to me, Nick, I want you, you know, I'm proud of you. There's the Syracuse, the only school I applied to. Only one. I said if I didn't get in, I was going to go be a fireman like my dad. Um, I'm, you know, I'm proud of you, and you, you've been focused on this since you were a little boy. I do want you to know if you do well in school and you get good grades. If you do decide you want to go into television, if you're worried about your nose, I'll pay to have it fixed. My mother, my whole life, I didn't really think I had a bad nose. I just thought it was kids wow. making fun. My mom says to me before I go off to college. Your seminal like, moment. <laughs> Her final words, me, by the I way. Assume, I assume the only reason you want to do radio is because you think you're too damn ugly to be on television so we can fix it. I'm like, sweet Christ, how bad is my nose actually? Like. <laughs> I never knew it was the level of mother offering reconstructive surgery bad. I just thought it was, you know, a little Italian guy bad. Like, my God. True story. Oh, God. And you know that she worked up the courage on that. She thought about it the <laughs> night before. She's she's rolling over and she's like, hun, i I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to let him know. Um. One of my favorite guests to talk to is Brandon Marshall, and now he's your co-host. His mix of experience, the fact that in his prime was one of the most dominant football players you're going to see, so we can speak to that. His experiences with mental health, the, his connections in the league. I always look at that co-host as sort of like a portal into the conversations that you can have, and with him I find it to be almost infinite and I'm curious how stoked you are for your show. Yeah, it's, I mean, listen, the reality is for us, there was a giant hole on the roster. I mean, we were we were moving right along really well. And again, like by the tangible metrics, our show was making headway and there were a lot of – And then with Chris. Chris left. Yeah. Right, exactly. And then Chris left. And – you know, I, I still I, I love Chris yeah. and I don't begrudge him any of that, but he left. And it was right in the middle of football season. And Fox had the Super Bowl. And so when even though FS1 doesn't have the Super Bowl, Fox has the yeah. Super Bowl. So we, there's so much going into it. And there wasn't, you know, what we didn't want to do was get it wrong and rush it. And so it's like, hey, we let's get through the Super Bowl and then we'll 
then we'll get this done. And then right after the Super Bowl, everyone takes a little time off. And then right when we got back from time off, hey, guess what? Pandemic. And so we went from November 1 until Monday with that role not filled. And on top of that, we added Kevin Wilds, who was never supposed to be Chris's replacement. Kevin Wilds is supposed to do his own thing, which if you watch the show, you understand what it is. And I think he's excellent. But also, poor Kevin, we added him. And one week after he started, yeah. we're all remote. So, like, he, you know what I mean? He's supposed to, like, be instigating and, like, mixing it up and all this stuff. And now we're on a two-second delay all on our own homes. Mm. And so the show, like, it, it was a lot of Nick. You got another rankings? <laughs> like, hey, is there a list we can do? There's no sports. We don't have the co-host. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's a lot yeah, happening. Like, all right, fire up pro basketball reference and argue <laughs> yeah, why yeah, LeBron's the greatest yeah. stealer in the NBA's history. Right, yeah. exactly. And so the fact that the end of that is we got Brandon, who was, you know, the, the top choice from the beginning. And that Brandon is a guy who obviously is, like you said, all those NFL bona fides, but also loves and can talk about basketball and knows hoops and knows guys, yeah. all of that. Um, and what we were, what I was saying about my, you know, how kind of my MO is not necessarily great for the mornings and I got to work on that. His is perfect. He's, He's a perfect so energetic. Guy to look at you He's go, got Nick. Relax. It's the morning. Right. And yeah. and he's got an amazing smile and he's fun and so all that. So it's all it's literally only been three days. Mm. Um, but I love How's it. it feel? And I can't it feels great. And it feels like the show's whole for the first time in forever. And so there is so much to me like room for growth, but also we actually have a fighting chance again to be, you know, a real true morning sports television show. I'm not going to ask the details because I still don't really know. And I don't know if anybody really knows, but I just want to ask you uh, personally, I know what it's like to be building something with somebody. And then all of a sudden they're not there anymore. It happened to me with Sims. And it took me a little bit to kind of look around and be like, shit, it's all on me now. And I didn't mm -hmm. play anything. So I got to be really good. Yeah. What was that like when, when Chris left for you? Yeah. So the all you know the I'll speak about it only from professional side. Yes. From the personal side, there's you know there's the relationships, there's relationships with family, there's oh you know yeah, what I mean all of tight that. as hell. Absolutely, Checking out of basketball um, games and, and stuff. Right, no doubt. And but just from professional side, it is exactly what you talk about, what you talked about, and it felt to me like. I've got all of a sudden a massive responsibility to the, you know, you got to understand the mechanics of FS1. Everything is in LA mm. except for us. All the bosses are in LA. All the other shows are in LA. We're this satellite in New York because of the time of day we're at. Can't do a show that typically starts at 630 in the morning right now starts at 730 in the morning because we're not in studio on the West Coast. You never get a guest. You just, you can't do it. So I've got, you know, a room full of people, most of whom my age or younger, who I think are work like, does this mean the show's going to go away? Does that, you know what I mean? All these things. Totally. And so 
So I, it was incumbent upon me to keep my shit together and to then also real, the other part is, and this is the only, the, well, the other part of it is this, it also did allow me for good or for bad to put more of my true thumbprint on the show. It, it, it did right? it to me and, and I didn't, and I, it, it's, it goes back to what I always say, obstacle is the way where what was my fear became my strength because it was like, wow, it's going to need a lot more out of me. And I didn't realize that I wasn't giving all of me until that person went away, at least right. for me. It, it, well, and but the other thing is this is when, when you're sitting across from someone who is one of the five best in the history of the world at what they do yeah. and has been on television continuously for my entire adult life, the natural inclination and the reasonable inclination is to defer to them. And I am not at my best if I am deferring. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there is, so it was, there was an element where, you know, I went for a few months where it was all, I shouldn't say all on me because I got a great team around me, but you know what I mean? On the air. And then, and now it's to me with Brandon, it'll be a blend yes. where the show kind of became mine and now it's ours. And there is, and it also, the other thing with Brandon that I do think is just different, not necessarily worse, better or whatever. He and I are much more similar in age. And so there's less of a, there, there's, it sounds silly, but there's, there's a respect your elders to everything. Yes. You know what I mean? To everything that you do. And so, you know, the, the inside the NBA would have a totally different feel if one day instead of just take the one with Ernie, Kenny, Shaq, and Charles, if Bill Russell was sitting out. Oh. Because all like, and Bill Russell's funny, can keep up with all those guys, but there would be an inclination for all those guys. Well, it's, I'm not going to say he's wrong. You know what I mean? And so, the, and that is, even if somebody were like, Shaq was as good as him, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, the, and so there is that element of it. It's, I, as someone that, my goal is always, I'm going to get us in, I'm going to get us out, and I'm trying to set everybody else up to do their stuff. So all I do is watch energies and how they change. And one piece can throw everything off. But I know for you to have that good sparring partner, it's, that's the, that's the exciting part is when your brain gets challenged and you can really advance stuff. Um, of course, basketball and then the world basketball. Yep. Are you still convinced it's Lakers? Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to post, but LeBron's still on the team, okay. right? I mean, listen, folks, America, who's, the, who's the biggest podcast in your mind? Is it, is it bucks or Clippers? Oh, I, I think the biggest threat's the Rockets. I love that. Uh, because they add a variance to the game. I was going to say, if I was a so betting different. man, the finals prediction that I would make would be Heat Rockets because I like the the long odds of both of those teams. Sure. And, and listen, the so of the two teams you mentioned, though, I think the bigger threat would be the Bucks because the Bucks' one weakness on defense is they say shoot all the threes you want, and the – Lakers are um, not they're not uh what they were in game 1 of the series no. but they're a low average relying on KCP team. and Danny Green so I'll take right, that Right exactly of course and 
And there is a chance Giannis does this year what I said on television he was going to do last year. Last year I went on TV and said, listen, nobody's beaten the Bucs. Mm. Nobody in the East has taken them more than five. And Giannis is going to announce himself as the unquestioned best player in the world. And, I mean, they were 10-1 and one in the playoffs in double overtime of a game three to go up 3-0, and then it all fell mm. apart. So I just think there is – you know, th- there is Giannis two-time MVP – about to be two-time MVP defense player of the year. And he, it still feels like he is something that's untapped. Yes. Like he, his game can grow even further. So I do think that the Bucks will be the biggest threat. But what I was going to say about LeBron is he hasn't he hasn't since 2011 he has not lost a playoff series unless his opposition had at least three and typically four and at one point five Hall of Famers. Mm. There's no team like that in the league right now. And so I will. Uh, I'll take my chances with him. Who was the five Hall of Famers? The Mavericks team? No, I said post the Mavericks team. Oh. KD, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Iggy. I think they all get in. You think they all get in? I do. Draymond, if people, let me ask you I those was going to ask more quick. about Iguodala. Who do you, I guess he's a finals MVP. Okay, uh, but I was going to ask you, who do you think is the more questionable, Iguodala or Draymond? Yeah, I feel like it would be Iguodala, but that's probably because I'm a scarred Sixers fan. No, 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 no. So Iguodala is the to me, obviously Steph Clay. If you're putting in Iguodala, Katie, then I'm no putting in Robert Ori. Like, let's do it. Well, Ori should be in. I don't know why he's not. Um, but listen, to me, Draymond is a no question about it. Yeah. Draymond is a Hall of Famer. He was on the this fifteen and sixteen Warriors. He was their second most important guy with respect to Clay. And he I think he should have three defensive player of the year awards. And uh, listen, his raw counting numbers are going to be awful. Yes. But at the end of his career, but his but I would also say that by massive. the time he's eligible for the Hall of Fame, I don't think we're paying as a basketball community as much to those raw counting numbers yep. as we did before. Sure. And that Spurs team that beat LeBron had four Hall of Famers, and people act like Duncan. Duncan, the year before they won the title, was first team or first team All NBA. Yeah. Like I mean, you see, Duncan was awesome forever. Like, and then they, they had Kawhi, who was emerging, and Tony and Manu. So either, people don't think that's a super team. I am so and by excited the way, for Coach yeah. Tim Duncan. It's going to be so good. It's going to be, oh, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. I wonder if it, if the Popovich to the Nets thing, there's so much smoke surrounding it. What the hell it's is that about? Right? Because we've also heard this before with the Nets owner where he really wants something, but like nothing yeah. comes of it. I feel like we've seen this before. Yeah, I, I do too. And I also feel like – I don't feel like Steve Kerr, and I, I think he's talked about this, you know, had the greatest time in the world coaching Kevin Durant. And Kerr and Pop are obviously super close. Now, it's also possible – here's the one way I could see it happening. It's not just that Pop knows you can't win a title in San Antonio in the time he has left coaching. Yeah. But the other thing is – and this is the type of thing I haven't said on television because – I, I'd be afraid I say it wrong or someone just clips it and you look like a jerk. Yeah. But I can say it to you. Pop's wife passed away recently. Yeah. And I do think maybe what's part of this is Greg Popovich goes back to that house mm. and he's in that city. And it's, you know, and, and for him, for this last chapter of his professional life, it's like, hey, totally fresh. Like, be in New York. Be, you know, have it something to where it, he isn't thinking about whatever type of loss that was for him. So I, 
I I think that it can't be dismissed. I have, I have a question for you before we get to the world. Rank the openings. Nets, Pelicans, Sixers. Pelicans are one. Oh. The Pelicans are one. Absolutely. That young core, I don't know where you are on Zion, but I, love I also look at the front office and the stability and people like David and like Swin Cash and, and how I feel like it's such a clean start yep. that you're the guy. And I love following Alvin Gentry. I just think that's a smart business move. But if I was going to look at the other ones, I I would deal with the headache that is Kyrie and, and, and Durant because I look at the Sixers and I had a conversation with my father yesterday about, I don't know if I can do this again. The Colangelos came in. We went through this whole process to set it's it up to where we had been and we had Embiid and we're sitting there. And I really look at the trading of Tatum for Fultz. I know that Ainge says he wouldn't have given up if they were going to take Tatum, but it has fallen off so dire. I don't think they're getting it's, back. No, it's the, the dra- drafting Fultz one and trading for that pick is the moment. And then it just got compounded by rash decisions, by panicky rash decisions. Horford and Tobias uh, for like it's $400 million. It's a disaster. They're never getting – like no. me and my friends have been talking, how do we trade for CP3 to pair him up with MB to like create an offense? And we were like, I'll give up Tobias. And it's just with, with those contracts, you're never going to move them. What, what you guys I think were actually hoping, should have been hoping, was that – what the Jazz did to the Nuggets in games two and three, they did again to them in four and five, and that Jamal Murray didn't have these oh, 92 God, points over the last incredible. two games. Um, That's 92 points into the 360. Because the thing about Jamal Murray, if you remember, was he was in this draft with all these guards, and he mm-hmm. was the unathletic one. And now yep. I'm looking at him going, this guy is a bona fide score. So games four and five. 92 points, 17 rebounds, 15 assists, zero turnovers, six his splits, 61, 57, 100. But so now I don't think this trade exists. But Jamal for Ben is one that's a really interesting. The, the Nuggets have no defense the at all. Nuggets already have Michael Porter Jr. What do they need Ben Simmons for? Well, well, they need someone who can guard. They need someone in guard, and Jokic plays outside right, anyway. Right. And uh, the but there's a lot of I think Ben's Ben is you know a guy we focus on what he can't do. I, I until always he gets underrated. myself that he's 23 years old, and and he's going to be able to play for a lot longer. Like I, I because I get so down on him, man, as a Sixers fan. Would you do Ben for CJ? If they included a pick? Well, CJ's a free agent. So that's why I'm almost like, can we get CJ and Ben, but no, we don't have any money? You can't. You have no money. It's all gone. At this point, There's yeah. some interesting ones. Well, so you would ben, build around Embiid over Simmons? I would. I. It's frustrating for me with Simmons that if you show – I, you know, I, I watch as much basketball as anybody. And you show me a video of Ben Simmons, I have no idea what year of his career happened. Yeah. That ain't great. You know what I mean? And so there's just – now, Embiid, it's not like Embiid is a bastion of maturity himself. No. Um, but, they, yeah, they, the, the way the thing just totally – and that's, by the way, the, the argument against the this process is so angry. you're going to put your fans through that torture, I know. and there's no guarantee. 
None. But you're through that torture, and then all of a sudden the thing gets blown up. It's not blown I up. Feel but- like, I feel like with the Sixers that if I'm, if I'm making ownership and Brett Brown like – a husband and wife that owns the company and we're working there and we're going up, up, up. And then they start and it's like not working out. They needed to break up a long time ago. And now we're here because of indecision yeah. and it kills me. And Monty Williams was right there. Sorry. We don't have to talk about your Man, son's team looks so good. Devin Booker. But that's the argument against taking, by the way, that the was a trade on the table too. We could have apparently traded Ben Simmons for Devin Booker, which Again, like at the time, I wouldn't have done it. I thought Ben was going to be an MVP. I really did. I thought Ben was the. I take shooters the, over drivers any day. Like I'm an idiot. Sure, I would but, take Shai, Shea Gilgis Alexander over John Morant right now because that's because I'm an idiot. Okay, well that's a bad, yeah, take. A bad take. Yeah, you're right. It's a bad take. But the, the, I mean, the the problem with the Pelicans' job, and then we can stop, is everyone's people. Anyone that says this team's going to make the playoffs next year, this team X, make them list the eight teams. Right. Because there's, no, there's just too many good West. teams in the West. Yeah, and so that's the problem. Like, who's there's not there's like two teams in the West that you're convinced are going to be bad. Yeah, see, I always think about it like if I'm a coach, I'm going to be the coach that Zion loves the most, and I'm going to get incredible job security for like eight years. Um, well, that you, you'd hope. Yeah, your your shirt. Uh, what we saw recently in Wisconsin. You have constantly gone on FS1 and you have spoken up and you have been very vocal. You have been someone that I am planning, candidly, I'm telling you this right now, to lean on when I have a child uh, and they are of mixed race. My fiance is Nigerian and I have, uh, I've kind of asked you some questions about it in the past. Um, and I, I guess the question that I have for you right now is, when you get ready to do the show and you look at your family, what is what do you feel obligation-wise to give to your audience that isn't just about basketball or isn't just about LeBron that you think yeah. that you have a platform and you have to use it? What is your mindset? Yeah, so the obligation that I feel actually is not to the audience. It is to the people I love the most in the world. And I listen, what, what we do is mostly make-believe. We talk about things – we have jobs to give our opinions on things that don't actually matter. It's like, it's like, it's like a meta level of make-believe. You know what I mean? It's like the games are kind of make-believe, but then the analysis of the games are totally make-believe. And it's great. It's the greatest gig in the world. I would not be able to uh, live with myself if that's what I chose to do with my life. And on the big stuff, I didn't use that platform that I built up by having, let's be honest, the best LeBron take uh, to to shine a light on what hap- what goes on in the world from a perspective that folks are, to me, unfortunately, more likely to listen to which is from a white guy. Mm. And I, I mean, you've known me since college. This is not, this is not new. It, you know, this is not new. This is who I have always been. And it is who ultimately I, you know, I, if I ever leave sports, it will be to do either on television or otherwise work in this area. My, my biggest area of study outside of sports is 
U.S. history from Reconstruction until the Civil War, or I'm sorry, until the Civil War, Reconstruction until the Civil Rights Act, and that period of time because Reconstruction was such an important moment and squandered moment in our history, and then the Jim Crow era that led up to the Civil Rights Act is just a glossed over 65, 70-year period of our history that we still fear, feel the effects of to this day, and it is... The other element of it is this. You you cannot talk sports without talking race. Mm. Doesn't exist. Can't happen. And not sports in America. Not not if we're talking the NBA and the NFL. Not if we're going to – and it's so infuriating to me when people act like talking about these things is, A, when they act like it's political because that is a major insult to, in my opinion, conservative people. Because the idea is, oh, you're espousing a liberal belief. It, it conservative Americans should it should fight back against that as hard as anyone. That the idea that fighting for equal rights, racial justice, is a liberal line of thinking that should be considered apolitical. That's first of all. Second of all, we talk about these guys off the field all the time. Yeah. Who they date, the albums they make, the, the clothes they wear. So we. We have to also talk about them as people. And then you asked me about the family. Like I, and this is where I, this is hard because I mentioned it earlier. My son, who was trying to go after a college basketball scholarship, ended up playing junior college basketball. People get confused. You and I are the same age. The short version is I, I have two adopted children uh, who are 21 and 15, but I'm I'm their dad. Yeah. The, the, I'm the only dad they've had. And then also my wife and I have our youngest. Um, the, 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 listen, man, my, my, my son has been through all the things you hear about. He, he was walking from a friend's house to our house late at night, one night. And because he's a six foot four inch athlete who's you know like a lot of high school high school early college athletes last thing he ever wants to do is wear a shirt so he's walking he's walking shirtless through a nice neighborhood in sugarland texas and the state troopers roll up on him fits the description of a robbery suspect puts his ass on the curb the the that that is that that is as that is real and of course like that's anecdotal but it's real and the the it is infuriating to me the number of people that have evidently decided that black people are just making it up because that's the only thing you, it's either you don't care or they're just making it up and I, I actually think it's more you don't care because the videos have shown they're not they're not making it up and people will just bend over backwards to find justifications for it. Mm. Put seven in that man's back, and they will find a way to justify mm. it. And it's the same folks who say it is an infringement on my freedoms as Americans to, to have to wear a mask into your business. But at the same time, it's American that if some guy that barely graduated high school who happens to have a badge unjustly tells me something if i don't do everything he says the exact way he says it he has license to kill me and even if even if i do he might still and so 
yeah, like I, this is, this is real life big boy stuff. And it is, it, it is morally repugnant to me to shirk the responsibility. And it is beyond the pale, the folks, some of whom are in the sports media space who know all this and have decided I'm going to go the other way. Mm. I'm going to start calling everybody woke and I'm going to say, and I'm going to misleadingly bring you statistics of, well, actually more white people are killed by the cops as why, if why people white people and black people. Road. I always wonder it. Is it, is it that they got a lot of engagement and they were like, let me follow yes. this engagement. It's as yes. simple as the dopamine. Yes. I, I, I think there's that. I also think you've got 20% of the country. So, you know, 60 some million people that this is how they want the police mm. to act. Mm. That this is what the police are. Yeah, there I don't for. always want to assume malice, but I mean, if you're going that the, hard, I mean, this is, listen, man, this is the, it, 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 you're at this point on these things, yeah. you're either willfully ignorant yeah. or it's like, no, this is, this is what they're there for. And I thought the, I, I think the Masai Ujiri's oh. story is one of the most important sports stories of the year, because what you have there is, think about this. That, that Alameda County was, Sheriff's that, deputy. That video, it, it made me yeah. so happy because now I know we have to have this discussion because it's so opposite of what the guy said. If you could give a little bit of background. but No. So listen, Masai Ujiri is trying to go on the court to Raptors when they win the title 14 months ago. And this cop who, if you, according to Doc Rivers, if you watch the full extended video, is being nice and cordial with everyone, sees Masai jumps up, demands his credential. Masai gives it to him, shoves Masai. Masai says, I'm the president of the team, shoves him again. Masai then pushes him back, and then Kyle Lowry comes and gets him. That officer, all of these things are not in dispute. What I just said is on yep. video. That officer demanded Masai be arrested, has sued Masai, has been on sick leave, for injuries sustained for 14 months to the tune, Lefko, of nearly a quarter of a million dollars. He made $228,000. He's not some poor dude in 2018. And here's the galling part. He did it to a rich, famous, powerful man in an arena full of people wearing a body camera, knowing their security footage. With the belief being, well, believe him. He's black. I'm a cop. Who are they going to believe? When the video came out, the Alameda County Sheriff's Office released a statement saying, we still stand by what our guy said. And so the, the, there is a, and this is what the NBA moment's about right now. There is a fundamental flaw, and I think it's intentional, without policing is done in this country. It obviously disproportionately affects minority, particularly black communities, but none of us are immune to it. None of us are immune to it. And it is the, 
people have debunked the bad apple thing a thousand times. So I don't need to go down that road. But until you have people within law enforcement that say, we don't want it to be like this, and we will try to push out the officers who act like this, this, this is an, it, not only an epidemic, but it is something that for me, the only way I can, I can kind of process it and stay, saying is the wrong word, but not just be over the top angry all the time is just to have as a working acknowledgement. Listen, man, this, this how, this is what policing is. Mm. This is this is what the the culture that has been accepted, and don't be surprised by it anymore. Just you know, do what you can to shine a light on it, um, because what happened to Jacob Blake? Mm. If that wasn't on video, you think we'd have gotten that story? No, of course not. They they, they knew Masai's was on video, and he's a rich, famous dude, and they still lied. It's like the old Chris Rock line. A lot of you wouldn't even switch with me, and I'm and I'm famous, and I'm rich. Right, I'm rich. Um, I got one, one, one left. And it's a little bit of a deeper question. Yeah. When all this was happening, uh, and I am not a father yet. I am just a soon-to-be husband. If this wedding could ever fucking you happen, I would appreciate. Yeah, you it. hope. God, I just I don't want to talk. She's about still it. got time. She's still got time. You know what? <laughs> we have too much time to figure out things like floral arrangements. Right. I don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing that I struggled with early was when you told that story just then about your son. And if I were to get a phone call like that, I know that I would be overcome with fear. But I also know that as a father, it requires having strength in moments like that. How do you balance having fear for your family, but also needing to be blindly strong for them? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I Sorry. don't. That's it's a great question, but the 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 listen. What you do is as you as you I'm sure do as I do is you you marry someone who's actually stronger than you are, yeah. and who can who you can lean on in those times, and you. I what I tell what I tell my kids, because it's not just like, listen, I talk about my son who's, you know, on his own, he's 22, but you know, my 15 year old daughter, I mean, she's not immune to this uh, either. What I, what I tell them is, listen, you get yourself by, hold on. Sorry. Are you guys, am I still with you guys? Sorry about that. Uh, You get yourself home by any means necessary. You get yourself out of this. And, and by the way, this is the hardest part as a parent. Let me tell you what the hardest part as a parent is, for me at least. You want to teach your kids, don't let, there are a few things. You know, keep your word, treat people with kindness, that use some fundamental things. But one of them is, for me, is carry yourself with dignity and respect and do not accept disrespect or people lessening your dignity from anybody. But I cannot tell them that mm. when it comes to law enforcement. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend any parent tell them no. what you what uh, what I think you have to tell your kids is you can't. You, 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 yes, you do have constitutional rights. Remember them. Keep them to yourself. You, 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 you yeah. They, they're supposed to tell you the badge number. Supposed to do all these things. 
Your job is to get home. Mm. And if you can, in your head, remember things like the name or the plate on the car, you get home. You get home and then, and this is coming from a place of privilege, you're, you know, semi-public, you know, I'm in a good position to try to do something there. Yeah. When that, when my son got put on that curb, I made the police look up if there was a robbery. I went to the police station. I sat there and waited. And I said, I want to know. You said he was a suspect of a mm. home invasion. Show me the report. Show me the report of the home invasion that had four Texas state troop troopers, not well, more than four, but four cars. You know what I mean? After one pulled them up, I, I want to know it. And so the, and then, and then what you do is, I think if you have jobs like us, you try to in the, within the margins, try to make things a little bit better mm. down the road, mm. try to, try to convert more. And I am, sorry, I know this ain't really the answer, but I, I am almost done trying to, and this is giving me some peace on Twitter. I'm done trying, trying to convince people who disagree with me on these things. I am instead spending that energy trying to activate folks who do agree. I hope you me. are because it's, I know that you exist in a world of, of takes and, and right or wrong and opinions and stuff, but I feel like we, the other side doesn't need to be listened to anymore. I feel like it's official. Like I feel like. And I, they're I, not, and they're not. And if this point you're not moved, you're never going to be moved. So I'd rather spend my energy with people who actually do agree, yeah. but either feel helpless or don't know what to do. Like, Hey, here are real practical things you can do. Here are changes you can make because it, the, listen, we're going to have, we we're going to have at any given time it would appear or a minimum of 35% of our fellow citizens just be the worst so i so i'm just going to focus on the other 65% i think that's the right way that's what i'm going to do that's beautiful it's a good way to go out nick I had to ask those questions because I don't know when you're going to talk to me again because you're so damn busy. Check him out every morning, right 7.30, with his brand new co-host, Brandon Marshall, where they're going to strike up a new bromance that's going to take the world by storm. And next thing you know, you're going to look up and he's going to be on a billboard in your town because he's the number one bloviator in sports. And I'm proud of him. Thank you. Lefko, I'm proud of you too, man. One time, if I ever have a fancy podcast like this, we're going to do a deep dive on your life, most notably how you got that wonderful lady who agreed to marry you. Because best I could tell, that that relationship started well before you were rich and famous. Yeah. So I'm, I got a lot of questions. Begging got a lot and of lying. Questions, Begging and lying. It's always a good strategy. Right, good to talk to you, Good bro. talking to you too, man. See ya. Uh, one little other nugget about Nick. When I when I mentioned that Syracuse is a competitive place, there there are especially for broadcasters because you know Tarico went there and Bob Costas and so many big name people that it's very competitive. And you look around your grade and you go, who who do I think can do it? And you look around the grades before you, and Nick was the guy when I was there. He was a year older than me that everybody knew he was the, the the best that was there. He could do two hours on radio yelling at people. He could do a pregame show. He could do a postgame show. And I didn't think he wanted to go into TV. So at the time, I was like, okay, I'll focus on the TV thing, and I'll let him hold down radio. Um, 
and to see what it's turned into and to know that it's on the back of real work. I think the hard thing about opinions is a lot of people believe that you're doing things for attention, but I don't think that you can do things for attention when you back it up uh, with as much facts as he does. And, and look, his opinion is that LeBron's the best player of all time. Um, he's a great guy. He's an amazing family man. Uh, and as you can see at the end, he is not afraid to turn um, his time into action. Um, it's been something that I've been a little bit less uh, vocal on the podcast lately because our podcasts have been less timely and more uh, uh, interview based. But I hope that you guys know that I'm doing it privately uh, and that I'm having a lot of conversations with a lot of people um, to try and, and have impact. Uh, it's, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. Um, but I know that the, what, what happened to, to Mr. Blake and, and, and I hope that he's able to recover. Um, it's fucking disgusting and it's, it's, it's more disgusting in, in a world in which when we had what happened with George Floyd and we had what happened in the beginning of, of quarantine so fresh in our minds still. Uh, I'm recording this and, and I see that the, I believe it's the Raptors and the Celtics are thinking about not playing their first game. Uh, it was the main concern of a lot of NBA players early on was if we play, will that drown out the call to action? Um, I don't know what's going to happen with sports, but I do know that it's not as important as the discussion of what is happening with the police and with the people of color in this country. And so um, if you're still listening right now, I implore you to, to read up a little bit. If you've been avoiding it because it's too damn tough to take, read up on it. Sit down with a few articles, watch the video, talk to some people, and then also look around like we've done before and figure out how you can impact. We're talking charity. We're talking finances. We're also talking about spreading it. Guys, even if it's just reading an article that makes you think and then sharing it or sending it to some people, do something. And I appreciate Nick for always using his platform. I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man. NFL season is right around the corner. And you know where to listen, right here. Love you guys a lot. Keep doing great things. Keep making an impact.